you or someone you love have scoliosis? Are you wondering what's next? What is life going to be like from now on? Or is this even a big deal? Hi, my name is Dave Butler, and welcome to the Scoliosis Experience. We are here to talk with real people, both patients, parents, and providers, to bring hope and clarity to the road ahead. Thanks for joining us, and let's get started. In this episode, I talked to Jennifer Lee, who is a drama therapist in Boston. Uh, I got to know Jen when we were doing a project with Leslie University, and she was involved in that, uh, providing her expertise. We were looking at ways of, of addressing the psychological aspect of chronic pain and scoliosis. And in this episode, Jen talks about her experience with scoliosis and how that experience kind of shaped the rest of her life. She talks about what she currently does to address her scoliosis as well. One of the biggest things in this episode is her advice to providers of how we interact with our patients. I think this is a really specific thing that we need to focus on as providers, uh, talking to our patients in a way that doesn't create issues down the road or helps to lift them up and helps to give them hope for the diagnosis that they have. I think this would be a great episode for anyone with scoliosis to listen to. She also talks about a lot of ways that she has helped uh, those with chronic pain and scoliosis in her own practice with drama therapy. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Here's Jen. So hello, welcome to the podcast. I'm sitting here with Jen. Uh, Jen is a drama therapist that I got to know over the last, what has it been, the last six months to a year? Yeah, it's been almost a year. Yeah. And she was gracious enough to come and talk to us about her experience with scoliosis. And I don't know her scoliosis experience, so it'll be news to me as well. And we're over Zoom. And so, Jen, maybe give us an introduction to yourself. Who are you? Yeah, Um, I'm a licensed mental health counselor. Um, I currently see individuals in a group practice just north of Boston. Um, As you mentioned, um, my background, my training, my master's is in drama therapy, though now that I'm almost a decade out of grad school, I do use a fairly eclectic mix of modalities in my practice, Um, though drama therapy does inform and is the undercurrent to a lot of the work that I do. I also, because of drama therapy, have become um, also learning about more of the somatic and um, body-oriented psychotherapies. Uh, I see a range of clients, but I I often tend to see people who are experiencing chronic health issues, as well as I see a lot of adolescent girls, and with adolescent girls does come scoliosis at times, and I myself was diagnosed with scoliosis as a child, as well as a whole slew of muscular skeletal difficulties. Um, had flat feet. I've had leg discrepancy, hypermobility issues, jaw difficulties, tilted uterus, many leg and hip injuries. Um, So runs the gamut. Um, (laughs) Scoliosis being just a portion of what I've experienced. Well, yeah, you've, you have experience definitely with not, like you said, not just scoliosis, but other things that 
may or may not influence scoliosis as well. So we'll, we'll talk more about that experience a little bit. Jen is, let's see, we did a kind of a research project with you a little bit ago, and that was fun. I got to experience drama therapy a little bit myself and, and it was really interesting. And, and I'm excited to hear a little bit more about that, but let's kind of get back to uh, your experience with scoliosis. Kind of give us a rundown of what that experience was like. Yeah. As I was thinking back on it, um, I realized that my experience feels a little bit like living in two different worlds. There were very positive aspects that I think impacted me, but there's also been some, some damaging aspects, um, mostly related to my sense of self and how I understand myself. And I want to be clear that the negative aspects were more directly related to the narrative that the, the providers and the practitioners I was seeing. That's interesting. That they, the narrative they provided for me. Let's be mindful that this was the late 1980s. Um, I lived in a very rural area. So, you know, I, I think treatment has come a long way since then, um, as well as, you know, living in a rural area, you know, I was only seen every few years to kind of monitor what was happening with me. But yeah, there was, there was some, some things that were told to me that I, I remember specifically that really stuck with me. One was so when, so let's go back. I was, I was diagnosed probably in elementary school with scoliosis. Um, I remember seeing an orthopedic surgeon and, you know, every, every time that I went to, to see someone, it was this, oh, this is a real problem. Like we, this is, this is serious. We need to, we need to really look at this. And, you know, I remember them talking about surgery and about bracing and turns out I never met criteria for either of those options. So it was, it was really confusing that, you know, this people would freak out about it and then nothing would happen. Um, it was just something that was monitored. Um, so that was confusing. Yeah. And that's, that's something that I see a lot. It's almost like as providers, we have to talk about the worst case scenario. And I, I wonder sometimes, do we need to talk about the worst case scenario? You know, for you, it sounds like it was a little shocking and it never amounted to anything. Well, as far as surgery and bracing goes. Yeah, I actually, I remember that in high school, I was a runner and I had, I had a leg injury. Um, it was actually the muscle actually was pulling off my hip. And, and that's how we found out that I have a slate leg discrepancy and that my pelvis wasn't quite right. That was the first time I saw a physical therapist and really started to become aware of how I need to hold my body, how I need to move my body. And I think that level of awareness has been so valuable to me in my life. How old were you at the time that you saw the PT? I was, I was definitely in high school um, because I was a runner in high school. So, so I would have been 16, 17 by the time that happened. Yeah. So how old were you when you were diagnosed with scoliosis? 
I'm not sure. I remember it was in elementary school that the school nurse had okay. noted that my shoulders were, were very crooked. My shoulders have always been been crooked and, and my my rib cage. I don't know how to describe it. I'm sure <laughs> you have a word for it. Right. Um, this, I, my left shoulder is definitely much more forward than my, my right. Um, and my shoulder blades are also um, pretty crooked. Um, I'm not sure what, what the curvature of my spine was at its worst. I don't know. So you haven't had like an x-ray or you don't remember what x-ray reports were like before? I don't remember as a child or adolescent. Um, I know that I saw a chiropractor a few years ago and sure enough, I, I still I still have my curve and and I actually didn't um, stay in treatment long with that chiropractor because it felt it felt the same as it did when when I was an adolescent. It was, oh yes, we really, we really need to take care of this. And right. um, at the time that wasn't I was really looking for someone who would treat full body because it was other areas of my body that I was having difficulties with. So, so having, having a practitioner that you trust and is really listening to you is, is very important. And I think it's interesting. You, you talk about, you know, it, scoliosis definitely affects other areas of the body and, and you're looking for that whole body approach. But sometimes when we see an x-ray and we see a scoliosis curve, it's like we're laser focused on, oh, we need to address the scoliosis. And that becomes the, the focus of treatment when it doesn't sound like that's necessarily the purpose that you went in to, to get treated at that time. Yeah. And, and, and I would respect that there, there were, there were other, I just, this chiropractor, there were, you know, sometimes you just get a sense Right. <laughs> you know, you get those feelings and I, <laughs> I had those feelings. So right. certainly, uh, yes. in in some cases that would be what you would want to focus on, but yeah, it just didn't feel right to me. Right. So what, what type of treatment when you were a teenager, did you receive anything or was it just kind of watch and see if it changes? Mostly watch and see. Like I said, when I had the injury, um, on my leg and hip, that was the first time I had physical therapy. And, mm-hmm. and that in itself was really helpful. Like I said, so much of, of coping with, with all my muscular skeletal has been about really developing this deep interoception, this, this, this body awareness about how I move and I became very aware at a young age where every single cell in my body was at all times. And I almost feel like that was a superpower. Uh, I feel like that has actually helped me in my career path. I have, I was a a performer and I worked in theater before I became a drama therapist. I have a a background in clown and mime. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So it made me very aware of my body. Um, and I think, I think that's where some of that, that physical theater talent that I have came from. I also think that this deep somatic awareness that, that I acquired also helps me as a therapist. You know, I'm, I'm always very aware of what's happening in my body when I'm working with someone 
and that often informs how I work with them as well as especially as a drama therapist, I'm, I'm very aware of what's happening in the body of my client, you know, how they're moving, how they're holding themselves, how they're breathing. Um, and, and I think that's, that's one of the positive aspects of, of having a lot of muscular skeletal issues was this, this really deep somatic awareness. Um, I also think it makes me very curious about the mind-body connection I'm aware that, you know, science hasn't really caught up with, you know, some of the relationship between psychosocial aspects and muscular skeletal problems and, and vice versa, um, because our emotions and our bodies are always in relationship and they're always impacting each other. So that always makes me very curious. And that's something that I'm always talking about with, with clients. So having experienced this firsthand, Jen, when, when we were doing our little drama therapy thing, we said we weren't going to talk about this, but I'm going to mention <laughs> that you're definitely very interested in what your clients are feeling physically, I think, and, and how that affects them emotionally. Like my experience with, I have arthritis in my toes, and you really wanted me to get down to feeling like what, what that was doing to me and what that was, what that was feeling like. So I think I agree with you. I don't know other drama therapists, how they practice that way, but it seems like you really like to make that connection with the body, really feel what's going on. And then we can address that. Um, yeah. Well, one of the things that we're doing in psychotherapy is bringing that awareness and helping clients sit with all of their sensation, you know, from, from a trauma perspective, we know that people either become hyper aware um, of their bodies or they can completely dissociate from their bodies. Um, so as psychotherapists, we're always looking at the impact of what is happening in the body and how aware of it are you and what, what are the stories that you tell yourself about what's happening in your body. Um, the intervention we did together, you know, it was, it was very playful, you know, we were talking about your pain and right. pain isn't a pleasant thing to talk about. Pain is also something that we don't have a lot of language around. So it was, it was delightful, even though you are in pain to see <laughs> be able to, to really make up this story, to be aware of what is happening inside you. And, and our purpose in that was to help you feel seen in your pain. I a big part of the intervention that we were doing was to help um, physical therapists really have a dialogue with their clients about what, what they're experiencing, because we know the biggest problem with pain is that people feel very alone in it. They feel, you know, other people can't experience your pain. Um, so it can be, you know, you can almost have you can develop imposter syndrome about it. You know, how, how bad is my pain? Um, so those, those are some of the things that, that we're trying to do as therapists. So if we, if we backtrack a little bit, we go back to when you were a teenager, did you mm -hmm. feel like, I mean, we just talked about kind of how you treat uh, and work with people with pain. Mm -hmm. How, how do you feel like your, did you have back pain first of all? Yeah, well, that's, Again, that's interesting to think about because I've, I've always lived with back pain mm -hmm. and 
I wasn't really aware of it. I mean, this is the only body I've ever had. So <laughs> I was not aware that other people's shoulders don't hurt a lot um, or that people probably don't have the same amount of foot pain that I have. You know, I was, I, I became aware of that, but I also, I think my experience with all of these things has really made me aware of self-care, really made me tune into my own needs. I, th- I think that's why I was so excited when I found out about Katarina Schroth because I so resonated <laughs> with her. I was like, wow, this is amazing that, that she figured out how, how she can help herself. And that that's really been my journey is really thinking about my own needs and, and how I can support myself. And I've, I've done that in, in so many ways. Um, it kind of sounds like you, uh, you figured out how to do that on, on your own in, in yeah. some aspects, but there probably wasn't any medical practitioner or provider that, that you felt like really looked at you as a whole. Right. Right. Yes. And I'm just, actually doing this work with you over the past year made me think, okay, I'm getting older now. Maybe I should, I should look into finding a provider again. And um, I actually found someone here in Boston who practices Shroth. And I, I also found another practitioner that seems like they're doing really cool things with the pelvis, which is something else that I, I actually wonder if I struggle with. I, I actually wonder if a lot of it stems from my my pelvis hmm. not being aligned. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, great. So I, yeah. Too bad. Cause I thought I was going to come out to Boston and we we're just going <laughs> to just going to do well, some drop. Hey, we can do Boston. that. We could do that. <laughs> so, well, that that's cool that you're looking into that a little bit more. I think one, one of the takeaways that I'm already getting from this episode of the podcast is that try and make that mind body connection, try and really feel what your body is going through instead of either becoming hyper aware, like you're talking about, or being just dissociating. And so you don't just don't have to deal with it. I think a lot of my adult scoliosis patients fit one, one of the two and making that connection, I think would, would allow them to do something more productive about it or more specific. Yeah. So that's really cool. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your work as a drama therapist. Um, How you said you work with a lot of teenage girls and you've seen scoliosis. Have you been able to use drama therapy with someone with some, maybe some trauma surrounding scoliosis? Yeah. One of, one of the many drama therapy techniques, um, you know, we always want to put, our clients in their bodies. Um, so sometimes I will use sculpture where they'll actually sculpt their bodies. And I, I remember that she was sculpting emotions and then she would come back and she would draw how her spine looked in. So, so she would actually act out the emotion and then she would think about how her spine responded to that emotion. Um, and that was just really cool to see a client, um, really tune into both their body and their emotions at the same time and and really integrate both of those. Another example that, that stands out, this was another adolescent who 
scoliosis was not the primary concern, but this person was also dealing with a lot of chronic pain. And we became aware that the chronic pain was really impacting her body image, her sense of self, how she saw herself. Um, and she was actually able to create this cartoon character to really show me how she felt about herself, which was, which was so interesting to me because she had this really tough exterior. You would, you would never know that she was struggling with, with self-concept and, and, and body image and as well as future orientation. She had trouble imagining her future. And so she created this cartoon character for me to really make it clear how she sees herself. And we did some storytelling around that character. And as the storytelling went on, this character became less cartoonish and, and it was able to transform. And so that's, that's an example of using some, some drama therapy that's also some other expressive therapies techniques. But those were two examples that came to mind when I when I think about working with adolescent girls and dealing with muscular skeletal issues. I mean, it's very eye-opening to hear you talk about how, I mean, it was probably much more in-depth and complex than you're talking about it, but it's nice to see a window into how that, how that goes, because I think drama therapy and expressive therapies specifically would be great with a lot of teenagers who are having trouble expressing those. Well, adults have trouble expressing those things as well. So I think it's a, it's a great fit. And when you were talking about these, these people being angry with their bodies, I hear Mm -hmm. that consistently with my adult patients, especially if they are like they're braced as a, as a kid, they had to, you know, go through all this uh, assessment and all these x-rays and things. And they, and they kind of hate their body. And yeah, and that can definitely affect their chronic pain. So it sounds like you, you address that in, well, all ages, not just uh, adolescents. Yeah. Um, and it, that just made me flash back to my own, <laughs> my own experience of, you know, some of the messaging that I got from, from providers. You know, I, I know you talked to Skylar Stratemeyer, um, about her scoliosis experiment experience. And I, I, I've met Skylar and we've, we've talked together about, you know, some of the messaging that we got as, as teenagers and, and children. And one of the aspects that we both had in common was that we were told that we would have trouble bearing children and, and what that's like as, as, you know, Maybe it was 13 when I heard that. And it, that still sticks with me today, not, not trusting my body. Um, just because some doctor said something and, you know, I don't know how much he meant it. I, I look back on it now as an adult and I was like, oh, he was, he was just trying to get buy-in. He was trying to make sure that we showed up the next year to make sure that everything was okay. But things like that really stick with someone. I also had another, another doctor who same kind of thing, who told me, oh, you know, if you don't stop running, you'll be in a wheelchair by the time you're 30. And, you know, I look back at that now and I'm like, that's so exaggerated and so hyperbolic. And and honestly, I was in a dance competition on my 30th birthday. So I just, just want to say that, (laughs) (laughs) but I am, you know, 
you doing this makes me hopeful that, you know, kids today aren't getting that same messaging and that same doom and gloom. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes from doctors not realizing the impact um, of what, what their messaging can be. I think that's much more prevalent, not just with scoliosis, uh, but with all diagnoses that we see, because I have consistently that orthopedic spine surgeons that I, I hear tell patients that are in their thirties, oh, you have a spine of a 75 year old, or you have, you know, or talking about, oh, if you don't do something, you'll be in a wheelchair like you, obviously you're not in a wheelchair at 30. And, and I, sometimes I wonder why we go to that level as providers instead of talking about the best case scenario more than the worst case scenario. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have theories around that. Yeah, I would love to hear. <laughs> I'd love to hear. Theories. Well, as, as a therapist, I, I, I come up against this a lot with, with, with parents. I, I feel like culturally, you know, the only way we feel like we can get, we can motivate people is to give them a doom and gloom story. And I think we have found that that, you know, there's a paradigm shift in that. It's like, no, let's, let's talk about the concerns, but let me also give you examples of people who are thriving. Um, And that, that as long as you take care of yourself, you too can, can live a very full life. Well, and when you talk about you mentioned that the orthopedic surgeon may have said that so that you would show up to your appointments and and make sure. I, I think that's probably part of it. It's like, if I don't tell them the worst case scenario, then they're going to take this too lightly and not do anything about it. You know, maybe that happens occasionally, but I don't think that's, that's the main, the main factor in, in how we motivate people. I mean, <laughs> who wants to be motivated by, oh, I don't want to be in a wheelchair when I'm 30. So let me do these exercises when I'm 13. I don't know that that really is motivating. Yeah. Yes. And the impact that it has on someone's future orientation. Like I still think about that all the time. Like, okay, well now I've made it to 40. Is my body going to start just right. breaking down? <laughs> right. I'm always waiting for for the other shoe to drop. Right. You're waiting for when you're going to be in a wheelchair because you were told <laughs> that you're going to be in yes. a wheelchair, which is totally ridiculous, according to scoliosis research and everything. And you you talked about hopefully treatment now is different than what it was back back then. You know, you're like, we've made a lot of advances, but to be honest, I don't know that we've made as many advances on that side of the ball. I think we've made advances in treatment and how we treat it, but as far as how we talk to patients, I don't know that that, I don't know that that has seen the evolution that we really need to have, because I still hear it all the time. I have moms that ask me about their daughters, whether when they have babies, whether it's going to be a problem. And I know that that's coming from something that a provider said to them before Mm -hmm. that is influencing that. And so it's still happening. I think treatments have gotten better, but the interaction with the patients haven't, I would say. Uh, well, maybe they have. I don't know. What's your experience? Have you seen that change you've been in? Well, you give me hope. The fact that you are always 
looking for new ways to interact with your clients. You're looking, always looking at new modalities. You're thinking about the emotional impact, the fact that you're doing this podcast, you know, <laughs> that, that gives me hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And hopefully with the, the stuff that we've been doing it with Leslie university, we'll be able to have a little more, a little more information for people who, where we can treat both aspects of scoliosis, not just the physical, but also the mental side of it as well. Awesome. Great, great discussion on that. What, what advice would you give someone? Let's, let's say teens, teens that since you work a lot with teens, teens who are diagnosed with scoliosis, what advice would you give them? Ah, that is a good question. Make make friends with yoga teachers and massage therapists. That would be very first. <laughs> it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can I can talk a little bit about what has been helpful for me in in coping with with pain and in body image. Uh, I found that strength training has been really important, um, especially back and shoulders, but also core. I also found that. For me, strengthening my feet and ankles has really helped. Um, if you think about it, that's that's the base of your body, and Where the rubber meets the road. That's it helps everything. Yeah, yoga has been very helpful. Though I have to be honest, when I started yoga, I hated it, and I now realize that it's because my body didn't get it at first hmm. because I had to really figure out. And this was probably mostly due the to the hypermobility issues. Um, but I, I really had to learn how to make the modifications, but I have found, you know, poses that, that really helped me. I actually love, yes, 40 years old. And I love aerial yoga and acro yoga. Oh, and <laughs> those have been very helpful in helping me stretch out and decompress my spine. Um, I live in a very small Boston apartment, but I have, I have a yoga hammock I hang upside down a lot. That's awesome. Um, yeah. You know, my, I actually noticed my, my scoliosis a lot during the pandemic because I, I was still doing yoga, but the gym closed and, and I was sitting a lot. Um, but luckily the, the two people <laughs> that, um, were in my quarantine pod was, um, my husband and a really good friend of mine and my really good friend um, does a lot of acro yoga and my, my husband is also a yoga practitioner. So he would just follow me around the house and he would wow. do adjustments. <laughs> so that, that was really helpful. Um, yeah. And acro yoga, I mean, take that wheelchair surgeon. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I also do a lot of breath work, which also made me excited to hear that the Shroff method definitely incorporates the breath. I think, yeah, I think really understanding how the breath impacts all the systems in our body, you know, from our nervous system, our endocrine system, our muscular skeletal system. So, so those are the things that I've, I've, I've used to help myself. So my advice would be to take care of, of your entire system to see that that body awareness that you are developing in your physical therapy, um, in your Schroth method, that's a superpower. Uh, I would say, don't be afraid to ask your practitioners 
questions. And if, if something doesn't feel right or you're not getting the care that you think that you deserve, if, if something feels off, find another practitioner. I, I do think there's probably enough good practitioners out there that you shouldn't take the time to be with someone that you don't feel right about. I agree. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I would also say to practitioners to, to stay aware of, you know, that, that these diagnoses can have an impact on kids' self-concept, body image, their future orientation. And I know you always say you're like, oh, well, I'm not a psychotherapist, but I, <laughs> I do wonder, you know, if you ask, you know, okay, let's, let's talk about how you see your future or how, how does this make you feel about your body? It sounds like you do ask those questions and, and that can be really helpful to just honor that kids have, have these questions. Yeah. I think, I think that's great. Fantastic advice. Um, and the more I do this podcast, the more I, I realize I started the podcast initially for my patients that they can go and and have a resource, but the further I get into it, the more I want it to be something that providers listen to because they need to understand what is happening on the other side. They need to understand that, that these conversations it can have positive and negative impacts on, on their patients. So I appreciate you coming, you know, bringing that uh, into light a little bit. What about if someone who's diagnosed with scoliosis or they they have been living with scoliosis for a while and maybe they are looking at bracing or surgery or they have anxiety surrounding the diagnosis. What, what would you suggest for that, that type of a person? Yeah. And I, I see a lot of that um, in my practice. Like I said, I work with people who are dealing with, with chronic health issues. So I, I find a big part of my, my role is helping people really tune into the questions and concerns that they have and, you know, teach those self-advocacy skills so they can ask those questions of their providers. I mean, ultimately that is the best way to really work with that anxiety. I think a lot of people, you know, are afraid to ask questions. Um, They're afraid to give any pushback. You know, they feel very rushed by, by their surgeons or their providers and, yeah, I find a lot of my work is just supporting people and advocating for themselves. And like you said, it, it may seem like you don't have time in the five or 10 minutes with your surgeon, or maybe that's not the provider you need to ask those questions of, you know, maybe it's, you know, drama therapy is something that we've talked about, but maybe there are other mental health providers that, that might be able to help for that as well. Um, how prevalent is drama therapy? How, how much is it out there? Like if someone is looking for that? Well, I, you know, I have no idea. The field has to some degree exploded. I, I think when I started grad school, there were 200 drama therapists in all of North America. And I can wow. guarantee you that in the past 10 years that that has changed a lot. Um, but I, I really don't know the numbers. Um, I actually also think that there may be more training programs now than I am aware of. There were, there were five university training programs, um, 
when I did my master's, um, as well as alternative track, meaning if you already have a degree in counseling or social work, you could also become a drama therapist afterwards by, by taking a certain number of classes. But that's a very good question. <laughs> I'm guessing your brother would have a better answer. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. He, he probably yeah. knows. <laughs> Here in the Boston area, there's, there's swarms of us, but you know, yeah. there's pockets of the U.S. where there's, there are no drama therapists, I'm sure. Yeah. So let's say we've talked a lot about drama therapy, but what other therapies, if someone's looking for something in their area, what types of therapies would you recommend if like, say to work through the, the trauma, if they're an adult and they had trauma as a, uh, as an adolescent, or if they're an adolescent that's going through a lot of hard stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, I would like to say that any therapist, you know, would be able to um, help someone work through that. But definitely if, if there's, if there's trauma looking for someone who has some experience working with trauma, but there's also, you know, if you're also looking for that mind body connection, there's also other modalities that explore that, including dance movement therapy, um, somatic therapies. Um, there's a whole bunch of, uh, uh, somatic oriented psychotherapies, which is really exciting because I think that will mean that will fuel more research around the mind body connection. Um, I know working with you and your team of physical therapists, we keep finding that there's this liminal space, this, this no man's land <laughs> where it's like, Oh, we don't, we don't really know what's happening in the in-between, you know, physical therapists have their language, therapists have another language. And, and sometimes, sometimes there's this area of, of the unknown. Um, Was that surprising to you when we started really talking about that, how big that, that rift is between the two? In some ways it didn't surprise me, but as we got going, it, it was interesting. The, the last time we met, you know, it, it really, it really had an impact on me. I was like, wow, you know, sometimes, sometimes you get so in your work, you're like, oh, anyone can do this. <laughs> right? Right. And then you're like, oh, no, this really is a skill set. Um, right. And that's, that's what I noticed. I, I didn't think, I thought that we were trained in school on okay ways to address the psychological aspect of things. But at the same time, as we got into it more, I'm like, whoa, we are, we're, yeah, we're on different sides of the canyon. And how, how do we keep, take that canyon and make it smaller? You know, that's, that, that's what I'm trying to explore a little bit more is, is how do we, how do we address both sides without stepping out of our skill set? But I think the multidisciplinary approach is what I'm kind of getting, getting more uh, specific with is I need more people on my team that can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also think, you know, the whole medical model model is, you know, it, everything is reduced to a specialty. Um, and, and that's been really great in so many ways, but it has created this real gulf, um, between disciplines. Um, yeah. And, and I think that will change. And I, I also, I, I already think that you're doing it just 
by learning more about other fields and learning about what you can do to increase communication with your with your patients about what they're actually experiencing. And I I know you always say, well, I don't do psychotherapy, so I, I'm not, you know, sometimes I don't feel comfortable asking those questions. But it, I think it's important to, to understand the aspect, the, the impact of what they're experiencing. And, and sometimes you will realize like, oh, there is more going on here. And, and then you can feel confident in, you know, saying, hey, maybe this is more of a psychological thing. And, you know, let's right. talk about, let's talk about options for, for getting that aspect, um, some attention. Yeah. Go talk to my friend, Jen, and she'll, she'll get you all worked out. So, yeah, I think, and hopefully in the future with the stuff that we've been doing lately, we'll have some specific things to, to point to, like, these are some specific things that they can be done by PTs or, uh, you know, other medical practitioners. So I'm excited about that. I think that's going to be really cool. So if someone wants to, get in touch with you uh, or learn more about what you do or anything like that. How would they do that? Mm -hmm. Yes. I want to make it clear that I'm licensed in the state of Massachusetts, so I can only treat people in the state of Massachusetts. Um, But if people are interested in drama therapy, there is a whole registry of of drama therapists through the the North American Drama Therapy Association, the NADTA. So you could Google that and find the whole list of drama therapists there. Or you can find me. um, I'm at Counseling Services of Greater Boston. You can find me through that website. Great. Yeah, that gives people an avenue. And hey, we could go onto the website and count up how many drama therapists there are. Answer that question. We could. I don't know that (laughs) I'm going to. I'll just ask. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jen. Thank you for being willing to share your experience. And I think uh, the information that you've given us about the psychological side of it and what to do, I think is, is priceless. So hopefully people will be able to take some of that and uh, utilize it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.